The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Angels, we all have them. They're our unseen guides, our companions, our teachers, and they're all around us. Sometimes they make themselves known in the most miraculous ways. Join angel communicator, Reiki master, and QHHT hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman, for stories from real people who have experienced real-life angel encounters. Welcome back to the Real Life Angel Encounters podcast. In this episode, I talk with Reverend Sean Whittington, who was literally created to be an exorcist. And next up on the Real Life Angel Encounters podcast, we welcome Reverend Sean Whittington, who is a paranormal investigator and, oh, Sean, forgive me, what is your other title? Divine? <laughs> I, I always trip over it. Wear, so. Wearer of the dog collar. <laughs> yes, you wear the dog collar. <laughs> um, I am an ordained exorcist. Yes. I am also a uh, certified spiritual advisor, intuitive coach, and I am a paranormal investigator, ghostbuster, hunter, the whole nine. See, it have been since about the age of 10. So right, I've had an interesting right. uh, interesting time here on earth on this particular and, path that I'm on and, and journey that I'm on. Oh, absolutely. Now, Sean, you've got some remarkable stories of divine intervention. Yeah, tell us, tell us what happened. Uh, there's four of them. I know our, our segment is, is, you know, not, we're not going to be here for two hours, so I, I don't want to run late, but podcasts, they take as long as they take. So go for it. <laughs> okay. I've got four happening? nice ones that I think really, uh, they all tie in together. And, uh, when I'm done with the fourth one, you'll realize how they tied in together and, and, uh, why I'm here doing what I do. Yeah. Many people ask, how did you get into the, into the, uh, deliverance ministry business and I tell them kicking and screaming I got drug into it kicking and screaming nobody wakes up one morning and says I want to be an exorcist <laughs> but having said that I look back into my family history and it all makes sense and I thoroughly believe um 110 percent over the top believer that I was created to be here doing exactly what I'm doing today and on the path that I'm on. And it starts with my father, of course. He, if you trace his lineage, he comes from a very long line of warriors for Christ. And uh, he was a 20, he's meant one, a member of the greatest generation. He was a 25 year retired master chief petty officer, radio man in the United States Navy. And he served, uh, fought in World War II, fought Korea, the Purple Heart recipient, finished his career out in naval intelligence. So a very, very credible individual. And he was in the Philippines on a ship when Pearl Harbor was bombed. Mm -hmm. So he was right in the, in the, the, you know, right in, right in the junk, right in, right where it was really hot and heavy in part of the world. So he was in the Philippines at the time. And um, they were evacuating the island because they knew the Japanese were coming there next. Unfortunately, 
there were also many, many wounded Marines, uh, naval personnel, uh, army personnel there on the island. And you could only get aboard a naval vessel if you could walk aboard. So many, many uh, soldiers and sailors and Marines were left behind because they were too injured to walk aboard in their own power and get back on their ship or any ship for that matter. My father had to say goodbye to some very close friends that he was born and raised with Oklahoma and everybody seemed to know each other back in the day. But he got on his ship and it was the USS Pecos. Not too long after being out at sea, they did engage the enemy and they came under fire and got into a pretty pretty big battle, uh, mainly planes, and the ship uh, was sunk. So this was probably, I want to say, midday that day when they came under attack, and my father was one of the last people to get off the ship. He was um, sending out the SOS, the distress call, and uh, in what had happened to them and their coordinates and so forth. And he was, like I said, one of the last people to jump off that ship. Now, what I want to say here, when I, when I say that I'm getting the chills now, even here in my office and I do live in a haunted house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew this would happen when I tell this story. I believe that spirit guides and guardian angels many times work through people So it doesn't always have to be the vision of one or you feel one or you see one. I think sometimes they can work through people. So here, my father's probably next to the captain, probably one of the last people to get off that ship because 700 men went into the water Mm -hmm. and he wanted, you know, he wanted to make sure the distress signal got out. I think he's lucky that he did get out because shortly after he got out of the radio shack and down and was about to jump in the water, a kamikaze pilot came down and crashed into the whole radio deck and took the shack out. Oh my God. So he jumps into the water and he's hanging on to this piece of gangplank with a number of other sailors. And now here's your second. So I believe there was a guardian angel working through my father at the time, um, getting the signal out. The second guardian angel is the captain Abernathy of the ship. Mm. And he saw that, Sailors were being shot in the water by the Japanese planes as after they jumped in the water and their dog paddling around. The planes were coming back and scraping the water and shooting sailors. So the captain stayed on board shooting his gun, fighting these uh, planes off of the sailors, uh, which, um, you know, that's a very heroic thing. He went down with the ship. He was his body was never recovered. But my father stayed in the water the rest of that day and the whole night. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, little did they know there was no rescue coming. All of the other naval ships in the area were ordered not to go back because there was too much enemy activity in that area. Well, the next angel working through Mm -hmm. a human was a Lieutenant Commander Bernard of the USS Whipple. He decides to disregard orders from Naval Command, and he takes the Whipple back for survivors. Um, so right there, if he hadn't have done that, my father wouldn't have made it. So he goes back and they arrive. My dad talks about how he bobbed up and down in the water all night long, accidentally ingesting a lot of seawater and God knows what else is on top of it, oil, gasoline, what have you. So by the time sunrise is coming, he's deathly ill, barely hanging on for dear life. He's just, you know, uncontrollable vomiting. Who knows what else? He's just sick. 
they hear a ship coming, but there's a heavy fog over the water, and they can't see that it's a naval ship, a U.S. naval ship. They think it's the Japanese coming to finish their job. Mm. But when the fo- when the ship gets right there, the fog miraculously clears, and they see that it's a naval, a U.S. naval vessel. So it's a mad dash to the ship. All these sailors are swimming for the ship, and they throw life preservers in the water, the rope ladders, regular just ropes. Guys are hanging on, coming aboard, trying to get aboard the ship. My father's dog paddling and dog paddling and dog paddling, mm-hmm. holding on to this piece of wood, trying to get to the ship. And he's not doing very well. Right. Well, about halfway through the procedure of doing this, uh, the Whipple gets a message that there's um, Japanese submarines in the area and they have to get out of there. Oh, my God. So, unfortunately... They left, still left, they only saved 232 men. Many of the 700 that went into the water, they had to leave alive there in the water and get out of there. But my dad hears a, a, something over the loudspeaker, a voice say, prepare to get underway. And he hears the engines kick over. And he's like, oh my God, I'm not at the ship yet. He decides, well, he sees this rope hanging in the water says, they're going to drag me back dead, but they're not going to leave me here. So he begins to wrap the wa- the rope, you know, around his chest, in between his legs, around his neck, mm-hmm. around himself as much as he can. And he even remembers hearing the propellers engage and the ship start to move and starts to feel himself being pulled through the water. Mm-hmm. And he hears a voice say, there's one more over the side. And he recalls looking up and seeing this very large muscular sailor jump over the side of the ship and while hanging on the ship with one hand reaches down grabs my father by the scruff of the neck and throws him up onto the deck of the ship and where my father landed on the ship he basically passed out for 24 48 hours i would imagine he said when he woke up he was under a little makeshift tent in the same spot with some corpsmen working on him and when he was well enough to get to his feet he scoured that ship front to back, top to bottom, side to side, looking for this sailor who saved his life and thank him. And he couldn't find him. And everybody he talked to said, well, nobody on the ship even remotely uh, fits that description. And nobody could even remember the incident even happening. The corpsman said, one second you were not on the deck and the next second you are on the deck. So we don't, you know, we, we don't even remember seeing what you're claiming happened to you. Well, my father knew in his heart of hearts, 100% that his guardian angel had saved his life. So now fast forward uh, many years later after the war, my father is stationed in Brazil. He's in naval intelligence. He's a part of the diplomatic corps for the ambassador to Brazil. He meets my mother. She was Brazilian. They're both in heaven. May they rest in peace. They fall in love, get married. They have my two older sisters. When they were still very, very young, he gets stationed back in the States. So he brings the family back, but he goes back out to sea again on a mission. Somehow on this mission, now my sisters are very, they're babies at the time. Just, a, you know, I have a sister 10 years older than me and one eight years older than me, but at the time they were very, very small. Right. Um, he somehow contracted spinal meningitis and cephalitis overseas. Oh my gosh. Amongst 
amongst who knows whatever else and the complications that came with that. And I don't know if they have a cure for that now. Then they didn't. It was a death sentence and he was dying. He was in and out of a coma. And when he wasn't in the coma, he was extremely violent. So they had to strap him to his gurney and his hospital bed and, um, Probably not a very good scene, but when they got him back to the base and in the hospital, the base hospital, my mom gets a phone call. They tell her what had happened to him, and they said, he, we don't expect him to live till morning. So if you want to see him alive again, you need to come now. I don't know what she did with my sisters, either got a neighbor to come over or, or dumped him off at a neighbor, but I do know she hailed a cab. Mm-hmm. And on her way to the uh, naval the hospital there on base, she stops at the church, goes into the church and crawls on her hands and knees all the way to the altar, throws herself on the mercy of the altar, mercy of God, and and begs God to spare my father's life Mm -hmm. and makes a deal with him. Now, I don't ever counsel people to try to make a deal with God, but she (laughs) did. And she said, listen, if you spare my my husband's life, um, I will from this point on the rest of my life, whenever I do go to church, I will do it crawling on my hands and knees. And I will also have another child. Well, at this time she was advised not to ever try to have another child because the birth of my second oldest sister was rough. And they said, if you try to have another child, you and or the child probably won't survive the pregnancy. So there were no plans for another child in, um, you know, in the family between my mother and father. <clears throat> so, excuse me. So she goes to the hospital. He's in a coma, strapped to a bed. She's praying at his bedside. She ends up falling asleep. She wakes up in the morning. My dad's just sitting up, totally normal, staring oh at her. God. He says, Edith, uh, what am I doing in this hospital? Why am I strapped to this bed? She screams, the doctors come in, the nurses come in. They run every test imaginable on him and can't find any traces of any of the diseases in his system at all. My gosh. So my mother kept her her end of the bargain. And until she was too old and physically unable to do it, whenever she went to church, she did it on her hands and knees, crawling from the front door to her pew, from her pew to get communion back to her pew and would crawl out to the exit door after mass until she couldn't do it any longer. And she did have another child. Ta-da! Yours truly. And she always would embarrass me growing up because she would always introduce me as her miracle child. And uh, I saw spirit when I was very, very young. And the only one I could confide in was my mother. And she was devoutly religious, religious and extremely spiritual, which you can be. A lot of people think, no, you can't be spiritual and religious. But she was both devoutly Catholic, Mm -hmm. uh, saw spirit, too. And she used to tell me, you're going to see a lot of I don't know how she knew this. She said, you're going to see a lot of spirit in your life. They're just people without a body anymore. And if they appear to you, ask them what they want. If they have a message or they need help with something. And if you can help them, great. If you can't, tell them that you can't and ask them to not bother you any longer. So she also would tell me one day you're going to do something great for God. I don't know if she knew what that was or if she knew and didn't want to tell me then. But she would say you're going to do something great for God one day and would just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. So now let's go. Um, I'm. Uh, 
10 years old, growing up in Southern California, San Fernando Valley. I'm about a 45 minute drive away from PCH. You hit any a number of beaches when you get there, Zuma, Malibu, Santa Monica, uh, what have you. I'm at the beach one weekend, swimming, boogie boarding, getting in mischief. I was a very mischievous little kid. And about 50 yards offshore is this huge rock kind of coming up out of the surf like a little mini island. And I got the crazy idea to swim out there and climb up on the rock and just wave at everybody and act like a big shot. Well, it wasn't until I got about halfway out there, I realized the surf was a little stronger than I anticipated. And by the time I got to the rock, I was really exhausted. And when I tried to climb up on the rock, it it was with the surf pounding me and the waves coming over it and knocking me off every time I got up, throw in the fact that it was like covered with barnacles and really sharp rocks. I was getting all cut up and just mangled. I I couldn't get up on this rock and I was getting knocked underwater several times to the point where I I really was starting to give up and, and thought this is it, I'm going to drown here. Oh and I heard a voice say, swim this way, swim this way. And I looked over and there's this girl, just her head bobbing up and down in the water, you know, 20 yards from me in one direction straight sideways, not towards shore, straight sideways. So I start swimming to her. And as I swim to her, the closer I get to her, the calmer the surf gets, Mm -hmm. the more I feel my strength coming back. I get right up to her. And I I just remember we smile at each other. I turn left. I start swimming to shore, figuring I'm not going to, I got to get to shore. I don't want to get tired again. And I mean, I almost died. So let me get my butt back to shore. When I get to shore, there's a lifeguard there. And he says to me, you know, buddy, I could tell you were struggling out there. You're going to need some first aid. You're, you're mangled up. Uh, you know, I don't know what you were thinking. Nobody ever goes out there and tries to climb up on that rock. But you also, I was about to jump in, just about to jump into the water and come out there for you. But you seemed to all of a sudden get your composure and get your stroke back. And you got away from the rock and got back into shore. Good for you. But come on over to the to the uh, life life shed, whatever, and I'll fix you up here. You're all cut up. I go, uh, what about that girl who helped me? And he goes, what girl? You were out there by yourself. I turn <laughs> around, and the girl's gone. There's no girl there. I, I was a little freaked out. I mean, I'm 10 years old, but I never forgot that. So now, and I didn't tell anybody either, because I, I just, you know, for many, many years, I hid my, uh, psychic abilities from my friends because and my ghost busting passion because I thought everybody's going to think I'm crazier than they already do and I'm not going to have any friends. Exactly. So I didn't really tell anybody about that incident either. Mm-hmm. So now let's uh, go to my, I'm in my early 20s and um, I'm working, I'm about a, and I had got some crazy job about an hour's drive from home and I worked a double shift that day and I decided after work to go to this going away party for one of my coworkers. And I went there and um, there were many years, uh, I don't think I was full blown at that time, but I, I spent many years um, raging alcoholic and drug ad- addict. Oh, okay. And so I remember going to this party and you know, having quite a bit to drink. <clears throat> I remember friends of mine 
trying to fight with me to get my keys back from me. Mm-hmm. And um, somehow I got, you know, I was able to get, keep them from taking the keys from me. And I jumped in my truck and t- to make the long drive home. And I must have been dozing off the wheel and didn't realize it. But all of a sudden, I know that I wake, I hear somebody yell at me, wake up. And I'm leaning, I must have fallen asleep and leaned dramatically over to the right. And now I'm almost twisted and face down in the seat. So when this person yells at me, she's sitting in the passenger seat of my truck. I lunge up and I'm looking at the face of that same girl. This that girl I from the ocean, the surf? That- yes. Yep. Oh my same God. girl. But I mean, she's solid three, both times, solid three dimensional. And she's sitting in my truck yelling, wake up. And then she looks through my windshield. I look and I'm headed for this cliff. Mm. And I don't know how I did it, but I just remember yanking the wheel to the left. Mm -hmm. And miraculously, somehow right on the edge of this cliff, my truck fishtails to the left. And I start heading back across the freeway. I ended up crashing head on into the center divider, which was like a small concrete wall with a little fence on top. Yeah. I actually flip end over end onto the other side of the freeway. And that's all I remember. I remember waking up a couple of days later in the hospital with just a broken wrist. Even then, I didn't even tell my mother what had happened. I got I got uh, busted for they took my they took my blood while I was passed out. And there was alcohol. And of course, I ended up getting it was a big lesson for me. I ended up getting the DUI and uh, had to go through alcohol awareness program and Mm -hmm. uh, a number of AA courses and so forth. Uh, Probably was the best thing that ever happened to me. And um, but. I'll never forget that. And I went and saw pictures of my truck and like the engines in the seat where I was sitting and the roof is all the way down on top of that. How I got out of there. Now here's a crazy story. (laughs) Well, I'm asleep at the wheel, I guess, and swerving around the freeway lanes. There was a uh, highway patrolman just getting ready to light me up and pull me over. And he, a highway patrolman came and visited me while I was in the hospital because he was so amazed that they pulled me out and I was alive. And he tells me the story. I was get, just getting ready to light you up and you turned sharply and you were going over a cliff. I said, I'm going to watch oh this guy die. And you all of a sudden, I don't know how you whipped your truck back and came all the way across and smashed into the center divider. I said, well, he's definitely dead now. Mm-hmm. And I just like the lifeguard, I asked him, what about the girl that was in the truck? Because she's so real. And I didn't know, you know, maybe I met a girl at the party and forgot I did. And I was taking a girl home. I don't know. I mean, she seemed real to me. I go, what about the girl in the truck? He goes, there's no girl in the truck. You were alone. So here you go. And so now here's, here's the thing that, that gets me. Right. I, not too long after that, a friend of mine takes me to the midnight show of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yeah. And this was popular back in the day, and many theaters would have like a midnight show, and it would be Rocky Horror, among other shows. But uh, I I like the movie now. Then 
I wasn't a big fan. You know, I'm, I'm up front. I'm getting hit with hot dogs and food and <laughs> weirdos are in front of me trying to act out the movie while the movie's going on. I'm like, I don't know if I get this or not, but I'm looking at the screen and I can't believe my eyes. I'm looking at that girl on the screen. Susan Sarandon? I've seen tw- That's my angel. Shut it. She no looks way. exactly like Susan Sarandon when she was young. Oh my in god. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now I've every woman that I've ever dated, and even Sharon, my wife, I've told them this story. Right. And like I, it, it to this day still, like the other night, we're up late and we're sur- we're channel surfing for some something to watch, and Sharon goes, Oh, here's an old movie with your angel in it. Let's watch it. <laughs> I come into the living room. There's Thelma and Louise, you know? Right. And uh so I just laugh. I go, Well, she was she looked a lot younger than that when she saved my life, but you know, I get it. So that still happens to this day whenever she sees Susan Sarandon, you know, uh, oh, at a political rally crazy. somewhere or on a TV yeah. show or something. She always calls me into the room and goes, your angel's on. Oh my um, So God. that's, yeah, that's. Uh, you can have a lot more angel. things so, than that. Oh my gosh. So now 20 years later, I'm finally a an ordained exorcist well i'm on the path to become one i had the bad incident where uh something followed my wife and i home from a case yeah. took up residence in the home here my wife was under attack she survived that but i was getting going through training at the time i was working this one case by myself because sharon was still fighting for her life with uh, three very rare forms of cancer right. that were a result of this demonic attack and I shouldn't have been working this case by myself because it was like um, I would I worked I write about this in my book pretty uh, unbelievable but I worked nine demonic cases in a row and they were all tied together and I was being led through them. Um, everybody on these cases, the clients, either knew each other professionally or, or personally, and uh, they all reached out to me for help. So it was just one of those um, perfect storm type situations. But I realized what was supposed to happen was one of the latter cases at the end. uh, I was in this home, uh, just a single mother. She had a very young daughter with uh, autism. Mm -hmm. And she was complaining to her mother that grandma's visiting me at night and protecting me from the man with no face. Well, her daughter never knew her grandmother. Grandmother was dead long before she was born, but she would start sleepwalking and end up being found sitting in an Indian position, staring at the TV in the in the dark with the TV not on in the living room. And the, the mother was very frightened. So I came in on the case. She sent the daughter away and her and her sister and another investigator with me are sitting on the couch in the living room. And I said, I'll be right back. I thought I heard something in the master bedroom. Well, I took a photo of a window in the living room just before I went back there. And the photo caught two illuminating eyes looking back at me through the blinds. And then to me, it sounded like something had crawled along the side of the house and went into the master bedroom. So I'm going to, the, all the lights are off in the house because I've got the infrared cameras on i'm going down the hallway i'm about halfway down the hallway facing the master bedroom and it looks to me like there's a small smaller than me 
but a very wide, small black tornado mm-hmm. right in the middle of the door. Mm-hmm. And it's just swirling and it's in one spot. And I can see that through the darkness. So it's like darker than the darkness. Before I can even wrap my mind around what it is, mm-hmm. it's on me. Mm-hmm. And in the blink of an eye, I can't see, I can't breathe, I can't call out for help, I can't move. Mm-hmm. It feels like I'm being shocked by a dozen cattle prods. And all of a sudden, it feels like I'm being bent over backwards and lifted in the air. Mm-hmm. And then all I know is I'm getting the terrible smell, like I'm being lowered into the nastiest Yep. Uh, Andy Gump at an outdoor concert you could ever find. Mm-hmm. And I still can't call out for help or nothing, but I hear what sounds like thousands and thousands of people just moaning and crying and groaning and just, you know, crying for help and moaning. And uh, I just, I just, I just know I'm being drugged to hell and I'm dying. Then I hear a voice. The voice says to me these exact words, pray, dummy, pray. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> the only thing I can think to do was pray the Our Father. And I must have said that probably threw in a couple of Hail Marys, but I probably said 50 Our Fathers. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I come to and I'm in the master bedroom on my back on the bed staring up at the ceiling. I don't know how how I got there. I don't know how long this ordeal took. Uh, but now it's it's gone. I feel fine. I'm I'm scared. I'm disoriented. I'm wondering what just happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I sit up and I realize that I had defecated and urinated in my pants, oh and my I realized that I had done that since I was a little boy. I was like, something so awful reached down into my soul mm-hmm. that was so frightening and so evil that my, 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 I couldn't handle it, obviously, and I just let go. Many experts in my field say you died, and you probably were drugged to hell. And uh, it was the voice that, pray dummy, pray, was the voice of that girl. Oh my! I didn't see her, no. but I recognized the voice. And um, I was embarrassed. I had a jacket on. I took the jacket off and I wrapped it around my waist and tied it tight. And I walked out into the living room where I left my friend and the two women. They were still there on the couch looking at me. They're like, you know, you were gone for a little bit. And we heard some weird noises back there. Are you okay? Right. I was like, yeah, everything's cool. But listen, I'm going to call it call it a night because I think I've got all the evidence I need and I'm going to review the evidence and get back to you, but I'm going to head home now. Yeah. And I left and, um, uh, and there you go. Well, those are and, some amazing stories, Sean. Well, that, that, that attack was so violent and so scary that I left the field. I right. stopped my training, left the field for a year. Mm-hmm. And then a pastor friend talked me into coming back into the field to help her with the case. And then I saw at that case, a vision of the Holy Spirit. And the very next case was a possession case where I had to take authority over an exorcism. And if I hadn't got back up on the horse, I wouldn't have been able to have brought those last two cases to closure. So I realized God always had my back and I was meant to do this. And then I start retracing 
how did you get here? And I just, all the pieces in the puzzle came together. And that's why I believe wholeheartedly that I was created to, uh, to do this. Well, that's an amazing story. Now, Sean, you had mentioned your book and uh, please give us the, what's the title of your book? God, Ghosts and the Paranormal Ministry. And you can get that at uh, Amazon, a little less expensive. You can also purchase autographed copies enclosed in a beautiful house blessing kit on my website, which is www.ghost-b-gone.biz. And um, part of the proceeds of every sale of every copy of my book goes to support stjude.org and St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, Nevada. And that's a beautiful thing. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, and I should say too, in full disclosure, Sean has been a very gracious and wonderful guest on my other podcast, which is the Radiate Wellness Podcast. And the episode uh, that comes that came out in uh, on January 19th, 2021, that's episode 127, Radiate Deliverance with Reverend Sean Whittington. So again, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. And Man, I'm just I'm just glad that you're on our side. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, but before you cut me off, uh, let yeah. me tell you this: I have no magic powers. I have been blessed with the gift of discernment to be able to allow myself to be used as a vessel for the Holy Spirit to come through and do what He does, or it does, or they do. Um, right. So I'm blessed in that way. So they're they're on they're on our side. They're on our side. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for telling me your real life angel encounter. God bless you, Christy. I will talk to you soon. You bet. All right. We're bringing back a very special guest. This is Becky, who shared a couple of stories about experiences with loved ones returning for a special time, a special message. And today we're going to be talking about a visit from a very special ascended master. Hi, Becky. Hi. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Yeah, this is a a visit that I had, well, decades ago now. Uh, I was 19. Um, I was a a young mother and a young wife. Um, I lived in a new city and I was interested in making friends. And a woman I made friends with had been, uh, had invited me to come to her church. And I'm always interested um, in religion, always kind of a seeker of spirit and religion. And so I, I accepted the invitation and went. And, um, it was um, kind of a typical, I think, um, evangelistic sp- uh, experience. Um, I'm not, I don't quite remember, you know, the denomination, but I don't really think that matters um, for me in the story anyway. Um, But this particular um, preacher, pastor, uh, giving the sermon every week, he was very um, concerned about the quality of human being. I'm going to put this delicately, that that we all might be in our, our quest to get to heaven and be with Jesus. And each week I would just feel like such a failure. Um, at that church. And I had, oh, I was a terrible sinner and I was probably never going to make it to heaven. And would I ever get to meet Jesus? And this went on for two or three weeks of me just coming home with the whole swollen face and the wad of Kleenex and just crying the heart out um, for want of, uh, you know, 
repentance and things like that. One particular night, and I, although I don't remember sort of the day of the week, I remember the event clearly. Um, I thought I was dreaming. It was the most vivid dream that I had ever had. And I saw myself. It was me watching an event happen with myself. And I was on the ground. Um, if you do yoga, you're familiar with child pose. So I was yeah. my knees with my head toward the ground. Um, my hands were over my face. I couldn't hear any sound, but I could tell by the motion of my body that I was crying. I knew that I, I was crying. Um, and I realized that I was illuminated from something above. Um, and so I'm watching myself, sort of like a soft spotlight on me. And then I realized, as I'm kind of taking it in of what's going on, that the illumination is coming from the person in front of me, that my head is at their feet, um, they are wearing a long dress, robe. Um, I, I call it robe now because I figured out as I began to take in this whole scene and where I was and who was there with me, I realized that it was Jesus. Wow. Um, and I, I heard him, although, you know, you don't, hear um spirit like you hear necessarily your friend talking like we're talking now the message was no more crying stop crying and I soaked this in um I saw myself the motion of crying stopped and I began to raise up from the floor Uh, My hands were coming away from my face. My head was coming up. At the same time, I could see that his hands were raising. It was almost like my head was on a string, like a marionette. His hands would raise. My head would raise at the same time. And then just as I would bring my chin up to gaze at, to look at him, gaze on him, like that, I was awake. I was sitting straight up in my bed and just kind of, you know, I'm 19. I don't actually know kind of like what in the world just happened here. And I looked around my house and everything was quiet. My husband was asleep and only crickets outside. And I thought, I think I just had a visit from Jesus. And I just really thought about it, thought about it. And I said, he He really just told me, I don't need to cry. And I was in the presence of Jesus and I am worthy. Wow. I don't need to cry about this anymore. Jesus just told me that's, he resolved that fear for me, that uh, feeling of um, unworthiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was I just kind of sat there and soaked that up for a little bit. And you can imagine it was a little bit hard to go back to sleep. I laid down. I, of course, thanked him uh, for that uh, message and, and 
I kind of thought, yeah, because I'm a good person. I do nice things and I'm, you know, I'm kind and I try to do all the things um, good humans are supposed to do. And I was just 19. So, you know, um, but my friend uh, came to pick me up for church and I told her that I wouldn't be going with her to the church anymore. I didn't feel like that was the place for me and that I appreciated um, her taking me. Um, and then she, she never spoke to me again. Um, after that, we never uh, crossed paths again. Um, but that's okay because, um, everything happens for a reason. And I was so comforted by that, that visit that I just really felt like, um, that's how it was supposed to go. You know, once, once Jesus told me to stop crying and gave me that message, then, um, that wasn't, you know, that was, it was, that was hers to do kind of her loss. Cause I like me a lot. <laughs> so you never told her about this experience you had. I did not tell her about the experience. In fact, I didn't talk about the experience for a long, long time. Um, Why not? Well, I was 19. Um, I didn't, uh, my social circle wasn't um, spiritual. My social circle was other 19, 20, 20, you know, probably 19 to 25 um, mm-hmm. years old. Um, and I just didn't, um, and there's a part of me that just wanted to have it. Right. I, I just wanted to sort of keep it to myself and really, I would think about it from time to time, kind of take it out like a little treasure and think it over and, and, uh, especially any time when I felt like, um, that life was tough or I was questioning myself, my path, my, you know, choices and things like that. And I would say, you yeah, know, there's, there's that, and you know, Jesus is there and you can talk to him when you need him. And so it just kind of helps me right along. And I, as, as I became immersed in motherhood, I had two more children um, in the next few years. And, you know, those things um, go away, but always was able to really confirm for my children, you know, that Jesus is there and he is your friend and he does hear and he does know and he will, he will help you. Oh my gosh. That, that is beautiful. <clears throat> you know, i you know, you're in the Kansas City area. We're both in the mm-hmm. Kansas City area. This is the buckle in the Bible belt. Yes. And, <laughs> and there are unfortunately so many people who had had the experience that you had of feeling mm-hmm. judged. Yes. Feeling less than, of feeling unworthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, would you, what would you tell them? Um, I would tell them to really trust themselves that um, Jesus will speak directly to you. Mm -hmm. Talk to Jesus about it and and he will let you know. The thing that I've always taught my children um, about listening to God and listening to Jesus is this, is that we were given free will. Um, It is the one, the most precious gift of being a human that God gave us is free will. And you'll have the opportunity 
to make choices that will take you away from what may be your spiritual path. Um, but God's only going to let you get so far. And, and to be frank, I would tell my children, the further you get off the path, the more life sucks. Right. Until it sucks to a point that you go, man, I need to fix this. And you, and you take a hard left and you start going back and get on the path. And you'll just see the closer you get back to God, the better life feels. So if you're, if you're out of place, you're going uh, seeking spiritual guidance and spiritual teaching, and it's not filling your soul with joy, I would encourage people to find another one. I have been to Catholic churches, Assembly of Gods, Pentecostal, Baptist, Mormon. I have, um, I invited them. I'm one of the few people who just said, come on in to the Mormon missionaries. Probably not the few. There's probably millions who do. But I really want to know. I really want to know about all of these um, religions. I've been to Native American ceremonies. There's a Buddhist temple I'm desperately wanting for COVID to settle down so I can go visit this Buddhist temple in town. They do a few classes. And I just feel like you'll you'll go to the place that feels... Um, You'll know when you walk through the door. Right. You feel accepted. You feel loved. You feel connected. And especially if that's the path you're on. If that's what you're seeking, that will be provided to you. And I feel like that's the greatest message that I got out of that visit was seeking me. And I'm here. Now find the place to learn about your spirit. Learn about me. Learn about, you know, the way. And, um... The, the spiritual path to enlightenment um, in a way that makes you feel good. You've already have the, I already had the assurance that Jesus was with me and that I could be in his presence. So that's beautiful. You know, just today we're recording this in late September or mid late. I don't know. We're recording this sometime in September and I was doing a reading just today and spirit said to the client, You've got certain spiritual gifts that you're supposed to develop that you need to develop, but you're not that special. Everyone has these gifts and yours are wonderful and they are no more than, they are no less than anyone else's. And they spirit further said that that which Jesus had said in the Bible, that which I can do, you can do and more, right? And mm-hmm. spirit further added, the only difference is that Jesus knew who he was as a spiritual being yes. and was able to put it into words and tell people. So the more we know what our spiritual nature is, accept it, embrace it, talk about it, walk it, then yes. we are that spiritual being as well. Yeah. And, and you just don't know when you're, you're going to find it. If it's, it may be as blatant as a missionary knocking on your door, mm-hmm. maybe as subtle as a scene in a movie that you go to see. And, um, you know, there's some form of worship going on there that stimulates you, that speaks to you. Um, and, you know, investigate those things and, and go there. But by all means, God is love. And if you do not feel love in your house of worship, then you're not in the right one for you. I would encourage people to to move on and absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's hey. been a real inspiration and um, 
I just think it can help a lot of people. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. Thanks. It's always good to talk to you, Christy. You too, Becky. A special thank you to James Wheeler for the original music and Cassandra Harold for the voiceovers. Please subscribe and follow wherever you're listening now. And be sure to tell your friends. The more people know about this podcast, the more great story submissions we get. Submit your own real-life angel encounters to angelencounterspodcast at gmail.com. Want to know what your angels and loved ones have to tell you? Schedule an appointment with Christy at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.